Now, Kelsey Cocker uh, is less than a year old, but she has already spent more time in hospital than most of us will ever do in our lives. Uh, the reason for that is Kelsey has a condition known as vanishing gut syndrome. As the name suggests, it is a terrible condition. She loses most of her intestines, essentially. They vanish. The treatment for Kelsey's condition is painful, it is long, and it is very expensive. Uh, Our mother, Patricia, says, I was not prepared for this situation and the astronomical bills it involves. How could she? I mean, it is a rare condition, expensive. No one can be prepared for something like that. But thankfully, Patricia is on GoFundMe. Uh, As you know, GoFundMe is a crowdfunding website uh, that helps worthy causes receive attention across social media. So if you've got a problem, you go there, you register, and people find out about it. In fact, recently when uh, uh, Pastor Brad Franklin's wife, Megan, went to be with the Lord, a, a fund was created for her and it helped raise money. So it does great work like that. Patricia, uh, Kelsey's mom, says the donations uh, Kelsey receives through a GoFundMe page are a godsend in helping her give her a fighting chance in life. GoFundMe has actually become something of a last hope for care for many people around the world, especially in the United States and parts of Africa where social safety nets are sometimes not as strong as they can be. I mean, in Africa, there are strong social nets, but sometimes things can be so expensive you need help, especially in the U.S., where not only social safety nets don't exist, government is also not really interested to, uh, to do much there for you. When I heard about this existence of GoFundMe, it reminded me that there is something wonderful, something amazing about human beings, isn't it? And it is this, that God created us with the capacity to love and care for one another. He did. And even though we rebelled against him, that image of God in us still remains. There are still people out there that are moved by compassion. Even non-believers that feel broken for other people's condition. That is God's image being reflected in people who do not even know Jesus. And yet at the same time, as we think about God, family, and why he exists, it reminds us that we live in a world which is broken. It is a world in which our desires for care are not always fully met. Think about why GoFundMe exists. It exists because it's a painful world. But also it exists because even the people around us, they could see we are suffering, they could see we need help, but people who see us every day don't always help us. And so we are in a world now where we have to go online to total strangers to help us. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? People we know meet every day are not always able to reach out to us, and we need strangers. And actually, even if people can reach out to us, they're not always able to help us. Some people really genuinely care, but they can't. They they maybe don't have financial means, they don't have expertise, and so GoFundMe raises money for this sort of thing. It reminds us human beings are wonderful creatures God created. But it also reminds us human beings are depraved creatures. They live in a depraved world. Some of them, many many human beings by nature, are now 
uncaring. Uh, and, and those that do care are completely powerless to help us. So what this means for us is that we, all of us still, deep down, can never get the care we truly desire. No matter how great our carers are, or no matter how great people in our lives are, no one can truly give us the care that we desire. No mom can truly love the child the way the child wants to be loved. No husband can truly love the wife the way the wife wants to be loved. It's just the way it is. We are finite, fallen creatures. So all of us yearn for comprehensive care. We yearn for care that is free. We yearn for care that is both physical, social, and indeed myself, we yearn for care that meets our emotional needs. We all yearn for care that not only meets our emotional needs, but can reach deep into the soul. That provides spiritual care. Not only in this life, but care that takes us beyond the grave. Comprehensive care. Lasting care. That's what I want. And, I, and that's what you want as well, I'm sure. But no one can give us that, as I said. The only person who can give you such comprehensive care is our loving, caring, and powerful God. Only God can do that. And the good news of the Bible is that it's the good news of God coming to care for you. God coming to care for you in Jesus Christ. What's so amazing about the gospel, why I love it so much, is that God has come, has reached down to us to be our personal carer uh, in Jesus. And we are currently on the road with Jesus in Mark. As we follow Jesus around Galilee, actually, as you've been with us, you've noticed Jesus caring for people. And he cares for people who have no one caring for them. We see him here touching a leper, caring for a leper. We see him touching this woman that has bled for 12 years. We see him reaching out to a little girl, Jairus' daughter, healing her with those caring hands. Jesus is touching corpses no one wants to touch and cares for them and, and brings them to life. He's driving out demons. He's reaching out in the gatherings and driving out demons. People who are in terror, he cares for them, nurses them back spiritually to health and sends them back out there in society. Jesus is a carer. It's an amazing thing. And if you're in the medical, you're a medical profession caring for people, if you're a teacher who cares for students, or if you're a mom who cares for kids, you are imaging God's image in you as a carer, this Jesus. It's a tremendous thing to care for people. And I was, as I walked through the hospital this past week, a couple of times with Brother Michael to, to see Sister John, I was struck again, what, this is where Jesus would be. He's a carer. And I see in the nurses, Jesus is imaging them, caring for people. Because I see it in the gospel. And Mark in the gospel wants us to see that the, the care we long for, he is found in Jesus. Jesus is God offering himself to take care of us. But let me pause here. Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus is God who loves and cares for you? Are you trusting in Jesus to look after you as we sit here this morning? Now, now, many of us are quick to say, yes, I do believe that Jesus cares for me. But when you look at your life, can we draw the same conclusion if we looked at it? Because you see, many people, when you look at their lives, they, are, they may say verbally they trust Jesus, but they are really just trusting their jobs. They are really just trusting their money to look after them. They are really trusting their relationships 
to look after them. They have divided loyalties. It is Jesus and to care for me. Jesus and my job. Jesus and this to care for me. They feel they need to put other things equal to Jesus as an insurance policy of happiness. Just in case Jesus does not come through for me, I need this, right? And of course, the more we behave like that, the more it shows that we are not really trusting on Jesus. And actually, the more we live like that, the more we show we are accelerating to hell rather than accelerating to heaven. We are on the broad road rather than on the narrow road. So this morning, I just want to encourage you to abandon your insurance policy. To only have one insurance policy. Jesus. To put all your confidence in Jesus as your God. To trust Him above all things. And I want to show you, I want you to do that by first looking at who Jesus is and His caring acts. So turn with me to Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 30 to verse 34. I just want to show you how wonderfully caring Jesus is. Just three quick things we learn here. Why is Jesus so caring? Well, first of all, Jesus cares to listen. Jesus cares to listen to us. Now, now, two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus sent out his disciples to share his message around Galilee, right? And what did he tell them? He says, look, just go out there, do the preaching, and God will look after you. Don't carry your luggage. Don't carry extra shirts. Don't, take, don't carry your food. God will care for you through the people. Because your God is a carer. And they went out there, and God delivered. And they have come back, and they have come back with great stories of what God has done through them. And they have come to tell Jesus about it. I think they have come because they have also missed Jesus. And they, that's the whole, the whole sermon there. They, they, they didn't just do the work and go off. They have come back. They have missed their Lord, and they want to tell him what, is, what they have been doing. Let's read on verse 30 there. They the apostles, the sent ones, the disciples, returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. As I said, the disciples must have quite a lot of stories to tell Jesus. Uh, because when we experience something amazing, we want to tell others, right? We want to post that photo on Facebook. We want to tell our friends what a great holiday we had. And uh, I'm sure you travel, uh, you come and tell us loads of stories, right? Now, to a person sharing the story, it is exciting. But if the listener already knows about the issue, sometimes we just want them to change. We just, we just wish we can press a button like remote control and change the channel. That way. Because if we've been to a place, well, you know, why should we listen more? So we get bored, don't we? And so Jesus has every excuse here as they're telling him the story to just start snoring, right? He's been there, done that, and bought the t-shirt as it were. You know, he's done all of this. He's cast out demons. There's nothing the disciples are telling him that Jesus hasn't done. After all, he's the one who sent them there. So we would excuse Jesus if he just switched off or cut them off and say, okay, fine, okay, I know. But Mark, Mark tells us something different. Did you notice in verse 30? It says that the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all, all that they had done and taught. Jesus listens humbly to everything, even to the parts that 
should be boring as he listens. Now, I was struck by this. Because in life, the more power you have, the less you listen. You know that? Think of all the powerful kings and rulers of history. How many of them were known for listening? If Pharaoh had listened to Moses, he would not have drowned in the Red Sea. If Saul had listened to Samuel, he would not have lost his throne. If Nebuchadnezzar had listened to Daniel, perhaps he wouldn't have become like sort of a shipman, as it were. Well, a godman. Oh, you know, you know what it is. Grazing. He wouldn't have been grazing so much grass. Many leaders lose power for lack of listening. If David Cameron had listened to the people over the EU and all the immigration concerns and other things, he would probably be prime minister today. But the truth of the matter is that power is an effective earplug. It shuts us off. Powerful people do not listen well because listening gives power away. And I just want to encourage you, maybe if you're managing people at work or you're a teacher or something, or you're a mom with your power over your children, uh, so to speak, you have authority, just be aware of this point. As a pastor, I have to be aware of this point. If you're a leader in the church, you have to be aware of this point. If you have responsibility, power, you exercise anywhere. Managing people at work, you are less likely to listen. Power is an effective earplug. Because powerful people do not listen well because listening involves giving power away. When you, when you come here this morning and you're listening, you're actually giving power away to me, so to speak. You are saying to me, you're encouraging me, you're saying, actually, pastor, at this moment, what you're saying to me matters more to me than what I'm thinking. You're saying to me, you matter more than I do. And whenever we listen to our wives, we're saying the same thing. Or our husbands are listening to others. Power, listening always gives power away. And so that's why powerful people never like to listen, right? Except our Lord Jesus. Jesus is the God who gives power because he's always listening. And I made this point when Jesus was speaking to that woman who had bled for 12 years. He just stood there listening, taking all in, giving power away to her. Right? Because Jesus is God who gives power. He cares for us. So he listens to us. When we're praying to him, he's giving power away, isn't he? He's just there listening to your prayers, going on about something, your mind drifts off, other things. Because Jesus cares for us. And so we notice here that when Jesus is listening to them, uh, we know he's listening because why? Because he immediately acts, not only because he's heard everything, but actually he immediately acts on what he has heard. Look at verse 31 there. They've told him everything. And what does he say in verse 31? And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Okay? As the disciples have been talking to Jesus, Jesus has been listening to their emotions and their bodies, not just their words. And as they tell all these great things, he's also picked up on the fact that they are tired. And actually, as he sees people coming, he knows they are hungry and they need to get away. He's listening not only to their words, but to their emotions and to their bodies. And he says to them quietly, let's get away and be together. Let's be renewed. Let's have communion together. Because you see, Jesus, Jesus is a God who cares. 
He cares to listen to you. And he cares to listen to you in such a way that he has shrunk to become one of us. A man. So that he can bend down his ear to listen to your deepest needs. Do you know that the word listen, uh, uh, the, 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 the word obedience rather comes from a Latin word that means to listen from below. It literally means, to be, to be obedient means literally to listen with your ears. And so every time God listens to us, he's bending out down his ear to us. It's, it's a form of obedience. And Jesus therefore comes to, to, to care for us. He's listening points to the fact that he's a God who has condescended. And we know Jesus has put on the rugs of human flesh to care for us, isn't it? Not to be cared for. Jesus is a king who has come to serve, not to be saved. Here is a king, our Lord Jesus, who serves his subject, who washes their feet, who listens to your deepest needs, beyond the needs that you even know. I just want to encourage you this morning that if you are professing faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to truly surrender everything to Jesus, your caring king. You can trust Jesus with your heart. You really can. Because he truly cares for you. You you don't need to put other things ahead of him. He knows your needs. You don't need an insurance policy. You can truly just surrender to him. Give him your heart. He won't break it. He won't break it. He'll care for it. And the second truth we learn here, the first truth we learn we see is that Jesus cares to listen to us. The second truth we see here is that Jesus cares to feel our situation. To feel our situation. So the disciples are away in the boat there. We see in verse 32. Uh, they are away in the boat. Uh, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Uh, other gospel writers tell us they are going somewhere in the vicinity of Bethsaida. But as they are going, uh, people in the surrounding town spot them. Where is that? You know, Jesus is a big celebrity, of course. And they are going, they are running towards him, ahead of him. The crowd builds up, and by the time he arrived by the shore, there are many people waiting for him. Let's read on verse 33. Now, many saw them going and recognized them. They can see the boat, and there's Jesus in the boat. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And as, so as Jesus is getting out of the boat, he sees this vast crowd waiting for him. And, and Mark tells us the reaction of Jesus. How would Jesus react? Remember, he's been getting away to rest. How is Jesus going to react now? They are just interrupting his rest. Let's read verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. Let us just pause there. Because if you've been with us in Mark, you realize... When was the last time Jesus felt like this? The last time Jesus felt like this was in Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to verse 45. When Jesus saw the leper. And we said then that the word compassion here comes from the original word. The the word in the original language which means bowels or intestines. Or as we would say, guts. 
So when we read here that Jesus has compassion, it means that he feels himself so deeply moved by their situation, it's almost like he's in their shoes. Jesus is not having pity here. That is too condescending. It is not sympathy he's having. That is too superficial. It is not even empathy. That is too distant. Jesus is feeling for them, not just mind for mind, or even heart for heart. This is stomach for stomach. Blood for blood. Gut for gut. Now imagine going to see a GP who not only feels your physical pain, but your spiritual pain, your emotional pain, your relational pain. That's Jesus here. That's Jesus. Jesus is a God with a caring heart that not only cares to listen to us, he also cares to feel our condition. He is a doctor who feels the patient's pain. Now, different people are moved by different things, right? If you go to the GoFundMe website, you see all the things that are moving people, different things. Some things are strange on there, some things are very helpful. People are moved by different things. So we have to ask here, why does Jesus have compassion? And you need to get this because there's another miracle coming of the 4,000 where Jesus will have a different form of compassion. What is the compassion Jesus has here? Look again at verse 34. Let's read on. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The pain Jesus feels for them is not because they are hungry. Not yet. That will come later. It's not because they are poor and they need more money. No. I mean, that's a fact of life, isn't it? The pain Jesus feels for them is for their spiritual condition. They are like rebellious. They are rebellious sinners before God. And when Mark says here, these people are like sheep, he's not thinking of Psalm 23, which we had a wonderful, extraordinary sermon from Pastor Gavin last week. But he's not thinking of that. He's thinking of Isaiah 53, verse 6, which says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Jesus is looking at them as scattered sheep. As people who have turned their back on God their shepherd. People who need to return, to be shepherded for, to be cared for spiritually. And beloved, Jesus has not changed. He has not changed. Even now he's looking at this area he has placed us in, in Bexley Inn. Street after street after street. He's looking at people's conditions. He's looking at their priorities. He's looking at how they have rebelled against him. And even now, Jesus is looking at us here in this room. He knows the condition of each and every heart in this room, including yours. Jesus knows whether you have truly surrendered your life to him. Jesus knows whether you're trying to balance him with other things. Jesus knows whether he, a second genesis has taken place. He knows whether Jesus is your Lord and Savior or Jesus is one among many gods you worship. 
He knows your every thought. He knows your every deed. He knows your every emotion. He knows whether you have a new heart. He sees it all. It's laid bare before him. I don't know your heart. I don't even know my own heart as I should know it. But Jesus does. He sees how you live. He sees every sin you commit. He sees it all. What do you think Jesus is feeling as he's looking at you right now? Anger? Vengeance? Disappointment perhaps? Beloved, the good news is here in front of us. Jesus feels compassion. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Jesus, as he looks at you right now, he's broken for your sin. He feels the anguish of the spiritual self-arm that many of you are engaged in. He sees your rejection, your lack of real devotion to him. And he's broken for your condition because it fills him with anguish. Why is he weeping? Why is he crying for your condition? He's weeping and crying because he can see the future. He can see that if your heart hasn't truly been converted, he can see the eternal separation that lies ahead of you. And just as Jesus wept over Jerusalem, he is weeping over some of you. He said, how I wish I could gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. He's looking at you and he's thinking, why? Why do you need an insurance policy? Why won't you just surrender to me? It is a heart of compassion, beloved. And he longs that you come to him. He's not angry with you. He's broken over your condition. So this morning he's asking you if you know in your heart you haven't come to that point of true surrender. He's asking you again to see his tears. See my tears, he says. Come to me. Surrender to me. Answer my call. That's what Jesus is saying. Now some of you have answered the call. You have surrendered to him. Beloved, Jesus also wants you to see his tears. He wants you to see that he's broken for the people of his borough. Jesus wants you to see that he's broken for your family members. He's not condemning them. He's not angry at them. You see that Jesus is broken for your colleagues at work. He's broken for the neighbors around you. And Jesus is asking you a very simple question. Can you see my tears for them? He's asking you, will you, are you going to let me weep by myself? Does it not break your heart that they are going to a lost eternity? And then he asks, is my spirit really in you? Because if it is in you, if he is in you, the Holy Spirit, you'll be just as broken as I am about them. And so there's an application here, isn't it? Whatever situation we find ourselves in. As believers, 
we must ask ourselves, is this the Jesus that I know? Am I broken for people around me? Does it move me? You could ask yourself, when was the last time you had tears at somebody who was unconverted? And you didn't, we're not angry. And look, beloved, we can have gone forever, but we can say, this changes how we do evangelism. This changes how we preach, how we share Jesus with others. This deep compassion Christ has. Our Savior is broken for sinners. He's not cheering you on to hell if you haven't repented. He's crying over you. He wants you to come to him. And if you're a follower of Jesus, pause, take this truth in. If you're trusting in Jesus, ask him to break you for sins, to give you that compassion. Do you know how this church would be so different if we were as broken as Jesus is? We were asking, Bible study, we're saying, how would the church be like if everybody here was a loving slave of Christ? And, you know, the dear sister says, just be amazing. We'd just be amazing. You'd want to come here. You want to be the first one in, you know. You want to be in a place like that, don't you? Imagine if everybody was a weeping prophet for Christ. I think that would just be tremendous. Souls would be saved. So we see here that Jesus has a caring heart, doesn't he? He cares to listen, point number one. He cares to feel our situation. And finally, we see that Jesus cares to give us himself quickly. We see here that the good news of Jesus is not only that he fills our condition, it is also he's the Messiah of Israel who has come to give us himself. It's the point we made at the beginning, and we come back to look at verse 34 again. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. What is he teaching them? Well, Luke gives us more detail on what Jesus is teaching them. In Luke chapter 9, verse 10 to 11. If you turn there, you see what Luke says. It's the same account. He says, on their return, Luke 9, verse 10 to 11. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowd landed, they followed him, and he welcomed them. Notice, if we're doing Luke, we would have seen something with them. Not just compassion, he welcomed them, doesn't he? He doesn't, get, doesn't say, go away. He actually glad they have come. And spoke to them, what did he speak to them? He spoke to them of the kingdom of God. And he cured those who needed healing. It's not just teaching, he's curing as well. But the point I want you to see is that what he's speaking about is the kingdom of God. Jesus is again preaching the good news of the kingdom, which has already been summarized for us in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. If you flip back to Mark. Because it says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the good news, the gospel of God, and saying the Kairos moment, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, Repent and believe in the gospel. And we said the good news of Jesus is that he is God coming to reign as your king. He has come to give himself to us. That's the good news of the kingdom. To be our shepherd. 
our shepherd king, a greater David. You see, all religions and philosophies of the world tell us a single story. A single story, all of them. They say we must work hard to make much of life and hope for the best. It's down to you. Yesterday I was speaking to a lady in the Broadway and uh, she was telling me about all these Mayan calendars and all the rest of it and uh, uh, this great cycle and all the rest and, and the divine feminine. I didn't, I've never even come across that before. It's very strange. I'm going to ask Brother Robert all of this stuff. Here. But all very strange stuff. And, but as you listen to her speak and she'll bring in the Jesus' consciousness, the Jesus consciousness, all these strange ideas. But as you listen to her, it's still the same thing. There's a bit of Jesus in there and all this. But it's still about working hard to make your way to God. That's all religions are like that. Even the most strangest one, they are about that. But you see, in Jesus, God does not ask us to make our way to him. He himself comes to clean us up, to give himself to us, and he comes to make us clean, to wipe away our sins by his death on the cross. And the sacrificial death of Jesus enables all trust in Jesus to live a new life. Of, of love and joy with God himself as your eternal carer. This is what God is offering you. To be your personal carer. Now and forever. Now, that doesn't mean that if you come to Jesus and surrender to him in that way, there will be no pain. You will still experience suffering in this broken world. But you will know, even in the middle of suffering, unimaginable joy of knowing that you are loved by this God. And that he's there, he's your shepherd. As Mr. Gavin reminds us, you would know him as your, as your provider, as your protector, and as the one who preserves you. <coughs> to have God as your carer is a life of never-ending joy and peace in him. It is a life that fills us with eager expectation to see the face of Jesus face to face when he appears. It is a deep, it brings a deep longing to look towards the new heavens and the new earth. And if you're trusting in Jesus, I just want to tell you the good news is that you are now part of this amazing kingdom life. God has given you himself to you, and his Holy Spirit is a guarantee of that inheritance in the new heavens and new earth. So there's no need for any insurance policy. When you're truly understanding the gospel, why do I need an insurance policy? I mean, if I can have God, why do I need to hold on to this other thing? No, so that, what, what that means is that the more we grow as believers, the more we get rid of all key policies. We are searching through everywhere to see if we are keeping an insurance policy and we want to tear it up. That's what a believer is truly like. There's no need for an insurance policy because Jesus is your care. And in case you have forgotten who Jesus is, I just want to end by reminding with the words of Clement of Alexandria. Let him remind you. My favorite quote without doubt. Who is Jesus, friends? Christ is the Lord of the elect. The immortal logos of God the Father. The prince of wisdom. The strength of the weary. Joy without end. That's Jesus. He is the savior of the human race. He is our shepherd and protector. He's a fisher of men who fishes for us, who fishes us out of the sea of sin and brings us into the life of the blessed. He is the Holy One, 
the reigning king. He is the road to heaven. He is the infinite time and immortal light. He is the fountain of mercy, the source of all goodness. Jesus is the incomparable prize of those who worship the Most High. This is the Jesus who cares to listen to. He cares to fill your every situation and he cares to give himself. He is God our care. Beloved, you do not need any insurance policy. Trust Jesus with your heart. Resolve to surrender all of your life to him. No ifs and buts. Surely such a caring Savior deserves nothing less. And what a privilege it is to have Jesus as our care. For to him alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.